said something funny that I missed. Yeah, a <laughs> good rim shot. Yeah. Got a Bible? Open it to Ecclesiastes. We're all the way into chapter 6, halfway through this. Okay. And um, Solomon uh, gets a little dismal in some of these verses. And he has trouble getting out of it, doesn't he? Um, have you ever been around somebody that has sure enough depression? And life seems to just be a cloud, always kind of raining on their parade and everything like that. In fact, when something good happens, they have trouble really receiving it or enjoying it because they're terrified about what's going to happen next. They can't see anything uh, that is really good or positive or profitable. Now, there's a difference, and we need to make sure we understand this. If it's clinical depression, only one thing's going to help that, and that is getting the balance, chemical balance right in the brain. That's done through medication. But uh, there are other kinds of uh, uh, depression. I said that wrong. I meant organic depression, when there's an actual cause and a reason in the brain. But a lot of times for people with clinical depression, it's difficult because of, well, experiences they've been through and fears and doubts. And you and I that understand warfare understand that the demons of hell will come in and try to steal our joy. The thief comes only but to kill, steal, and to destroy. And Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. But um, in the world in which we live, and it's always kind of been this way, there's always plenty to sort of uh, bring you down. And sometimes when you try to encourage somebody who is in that state of mind, it gets a little frustrating because they cry out in their uh, life and in their heart and in their prayers, somebody, please encourage me. But kind of like uh, pouring water on ground that is really, really dry. Sometimes the encouragement just seems to run off. It doesn't really soak in. And it's hard. And it takes repeated efforts to do that. And the Lord may have called you. You may be married to someone like that. You may have children like that. You may have parents that are in that frame of mind. And you say, why can't they just... Well, they just can't right now. And it takes time for that to happen. Do you ever feel like Solomon may be in that frame of mind? He's come to the end of his life. And does he have anything good in his life? Well, of course he does. Of course he does. Is he a believer in the God of Israel? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But he has spent so much time investing in things that are not giving him the positive return on his investment, so to speak. If we were to think about it like uh, you have a field, two fields that are before you in your life. And Solomon was the same way. And I'm speaking metaphorically. Two fields. There's a good field that's going to bring forth a good harvest. And there's a bad field that's going to bring about a bad harvest. Where was Solomon sowing his seed all of the decades of his life? Almost exclusively in the bad ones. Not all, but most. So if you sow continually... Year after year after year after year, and maybe even decade after decade, if you're sowing seed in the negative, in the bad field, what is the harvest that you can expect? Bad. Negative. And just as Jesus taught us when we think about the harvest, that grain 
goes into the ground and it dies and then it comes forth the seed dies but the grain that comes out of the seed comes out and it bears 30 60 100 fold of what was put in it every seed produces more did you know that that's just as true for the bad things as it is for the good things in fact Paul put it this way if we sow to the flesh we reap of the what flesh if we sow to the Spirit, we reap of the Spirit. And if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. But it can be for either field. And Solomon now is reaping the crop that he has sown all of his life. And it's not good. And it's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow, I guess we would say. It's hard to take all of that and know that you're responsible for it. And know that... It's not going to change just a whole lot at this stage of his life. Now, it's always good to stop and start sowing into the good field. And let's just put it this way. Maybe writing this book is sowing into the good field for a change. Solomon's doing something positive and doing something unselfish. Because as he bears his soul, we don't think very highly of Solomon like we did his dad. King David. Did King David have his problems? Oh man, you bet he did. In fact, when we read about Solomon's life, we don't find that Solomon was a murderer like David was. And yet Solomon's life, as he comes to the end, is far more, um, shall we say, dark. Much more than David's was. It took Solomon longer to repent. It took Solomon longer to kind of wake up to all of this. And everything seems to be a whole lot deeper. And we might say Solomon snap out of it. But he can't right now. He can't really pull out of that because he's in between harvest. The harvest from the bad field has been coming in and coming in and coming in. Well just because he sows into the good field. Do you get a crop the same day you plant seed? No, he's in between harvest. Takes a while to get out of this field to start harvesting out of the good field. And maybe some of you are in that situation. You say, Lord, I've repented. I started doing what is right. And yet I keep getting stuff from the past coming into my life. Well, you're reaping what you have sown out of all of that. And just getting saved doesn't necessarily mean that all of that crop dies. Now, the Holy Spirit may spray Roundup on it, but he might not either. Okay? Sometimes it's like that. But you've got to keep sowing good seed into the good field over and over and over and over. Don't go back to that bad field. Don't go back over there. There's nothing there for you. And the more you go back to that, it only compounds the bad harvest you're going to receive. Keep sowing in the good field. Keep sowing in the good field. And eventually the harvest will come and the crop will come in. And oh, what a day it will be when the harvest from the good field is better and bigger than the harvest from the bad field. But all oh, that in-between time is so very dark and difficult for people to go through. I've noticed as I read through the Bible and looking at other people and looking at my own life 
how little is instantaneous even for believers. That's why the Bible tells us that we have to wait and we have to wait patiently and we're on a journey and we're walking a trail and all of those kind of things. We have to grow in the Lord. It just takes time and uh, it's difficult for a lot of people. That's why we need each other and that's why we need encouragement. You know, uh, there are some times when you want to go up and tell somebody what they've done wrong. And you know, the truth of the matter is, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, they know it, and that's not really their problem. The problem is, they don't know how to get right, and they've been trying to get right, and moving toward what's right, but they're not getting any harvest out of that yet. You know what's good to do in that time? Share some of your good harvest with them, and bless them. Even in the Old Testament, when you find that they would have the fields of grain that they would go after, they were supposed to leave the corners of the field, remember the book of Ruth? For poor people to come and glean from. Why was that important? Because the poor people, they may not have land where they can sow any seed. And so you're sharing your harvest with them. They may have been lazy people who didn't plant anything, but you're sharing your harvest with them and uh, that's one of the things we do as the body of Christ. All of us are in different stages of our sanctification. We're waiting. We are reaping what we sow. And some of you have done a very good job over time of sowing good seed in the good field. Well, share it with somebody else because they're going to need it. And those of you who have sown in bad fields for times, just quit it. Just stop doing it. Don't go back to that. Sow in the good fields, and in due season you'll reap, the Bible promises, if you don't faint. So that's where I think we kind of find Solomon in. And I think that's why God had him write this dark and depressing book where he bears his soul. And it's a warning for us. Don't do what Solomon did. And Solomon was in pursuit of two things, and so were you. Everybody, I don't care if they're an infant in a crib, I don't care if they're an old person in a nursing home and everyone in between, everyone is looking for two things. We want to have significance. We want to know we mattered. We want to know that we have impact on other people and on society, that kind of thing. We, that's why we put gravestones up. We want to be remembered. We want to have significance. That's why sometimes accomplishments are put on there. On my dad's, it has his rank and it says that he served in Korea and Vietnam. And it also says that he uh, received the Purple Heart. Why do we do things like that? Because we want to be thought of as significant. And then we also want to have security. We want to uh, uh, know that we'll be taken care of. We want to know that our needs will be met. Everybody struggles with those two things. Do I matter? And am I secure? Am I protected? And I said, a baby in the crib will do that because while they can't formulate it, when they start crying, what's being answered in their soul when they cry out, when they're cold or when they're hungry or lonely or something like that, do I matter enough that someone will come? And when mama shows up and picks up that little baby and, and holds it and the baby feels secure and they settle down, isn't it amazing how mama can settle down a little baby like no one else? I mean, they know that mama. And that makes the baby feel significant. My mama loves me. My daddy loves me. And all through life, they are gathering data and information that I am loved. I matter. I matter. 
And when they do that kind of thing repeatedly, you know, kind of looking for love over and over and over, what is that building? It's building security. Mama just doesn't love me on Monday at 2 in the afternoon. She loves me on Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the morning. And whenever I'm hungry, I get fed. And whenever I'm cold, I get warmed. And whenever I'm lonely and feeling afraid, I get comforted. All of that is building up all of that data. And that's why uh, in the hospitals, even in the uh, NICU, they bring the parents in and let them hold that little baby and they have touch time and skin-to-skin contact what is it doing building that significance and security in the mind and the life of that child some of you didn't get that and that's why you struggle in so many areas today some didn't get that and they become multi-millionaires and even billionaires because they think that what they didn't get when they were growing up, that now I can be somebody, I'll have significance, and I'll have security if I can just out-earn everybody else or if I can control everything that is going on. And so human beings are in this uh, search for these two things, and they do it, and they try to find it in different ways, some through popularity, some through sports, some through the acquisition of wealth, some through power, Um, all kinds of things. I think that a lot of the people that you would find in Hollywood, for example, would be some of the most insecure people you would ever meet in your life because they thought being wealthy and being powerful, being beautiful, being popular, all of that would give them significance and would also give them security. What happens to some of the beautiful... um, Lusted after Hollywood stars when they get old and when they're forgotten. Well, some of them kill themselves, male and female, by the way. And it's a sad, sad life because none of those things are found in the typical things people look for them in. I think when we read this chapter, we find kind of a little bit of Solomon's thoughts on significance and security and how empty, how empty he felt after pursuing these things in all of the wrong places. So let's look in Ecclesiastes 6. And he says, There is an evil which I have seen, we'll do the whole chapter by the way, under the sun. And it is, and this is where I got the title of the message, Common Among Men. In other words, it is normal. That's why I say, don't be normal, be an example. Normal stinks. Normal is not good. Normal isn't working for anybody. you got to rise above that, okay? Verse 2. A man to whom God has given riches, he didn't steal it, it's not dishonorable. He's got it and it's from God. God has given this person riches and wealth and honor. So all of that that we talked about. So that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to eat of it. But a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity and it is an evil affliction. And by evil he's not saying that God gave you something that's sinful or something like that. A lot of times in the Old Testament evil means calamity. Okay, this, is a, this is a calamitous thing, he's saying. It didn't work out right. Now, verse 3. If a man begets a hundred children, 
Think about your Old Testament knowledge here. What was it that every man wanted? Offspring. And the more offspring you had, it meant the more you were blessed by God. You're a healthy, strong man, and you're passing on lots of descendants. Right? They don't think like we do. And so uh, this is a man who is blessed of God. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, see, long life was part of that too, so that the days of his years are many, more than normal, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, his kids don't care about him in other words, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. Wow, that's dark. That's dark. For it comes in vanity or emptiness, and it departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Uh, many times a, a miscarriage doesn't receive a name, right? Verse 5, Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness. Do not all go to one place, and that is to the grave, obscurity, and forgottenness. Well, that's sad. Verse 7. All the labor of man is for his mouth. I mean, we all want to eat. And yet the soul is not satisfied. Wow. The belly can be a size 50, and the soul can be a size Whatever. Lean. Leanness of soul the Bible talks about, right? Verse 8. For what more has the wise man than the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering or the uh, the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping after the wind. Instead of just craving everything you can't have and you can't get, take care of what you've got. I told somebody one time, if you don't take care of your beat-up $1,000 Chevy, why should God give you a $40,000 or $50,000 Cadillac? Take care of what you got. Okay? And quit craving something that you can't get. That's grasping for the wind. Verse 10. Whatever one is, he has been named already. For it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with... And notice how the hymn is capitalized. When the hymn is capitalized, that's speaking of God. So let's say it like that. Whatever you are, whoever you are, you are made a certain way, known by God, right? And you cannot contend with God who is mightier than he. Since there are many things that increase vanity or emptiness, how is man the better? In other words, it seems like the more things you have, the more talent you have, the more ability you have, the more opportunity you have, the more emptiness you come up with so many times. How is that any better? For who knows... What is good for a man in life, all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. 
Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? What's going to happen to you after you die in terms of the things you leave behind? You know, it's amazing how quickly, how quickly people and even sometimes people's influence can be forgotten. And sometimes one generation doesn't really care about what influenced another generation. We're doing our own thing and we're new and we're going to move on our own way. And they don't really learn from history. They don't really get the roots of the family. They don't really get the values of the family. They just want to move on and they want to do their own thing. And it's amazing how quickly things can come to an end and be forgotten. And Solomon's realizing all of this. And he's realizing as time has been going by, there was a time when everybody wanted Solomon. And everybody wanted Solomon's wisdom. And everybody wanted a blessing from Solomon. And, you know, all of the kids came around. Hey, Dad, you got any money? And, Dad, I, I, I need a new car. And all of that kind of stuff. Well, now they're long gone. And Solomon's kids are adults. They're not all that interested in him anymore. Maybe they've already started their own careers. And he's not as necessary anymore. And it's a very, very empty feeling when you come to that point And you think, like Solomon did... Everything I did in all of that time, it ended up being wasted. It ended up being for nothing. And what am I really getting out of it? Because we all would like to think we come to the end of life full of days and happy and satisfied. And boy, I've gotten to live my life. And isn't it wonderful? And uh, so many times it doesn't come up that way. And why is it that we search for significance and security and we find out that we don't come up with either one of them when we get to the end of our life. Well, one of the reasons is, I thought this was, um, well, the way I put this in this first point is kind of interesting. Life is like an insurance policy. Okay? What do I mean by that? Solomon says, you amass this wealth that God gives you and you never get to eat from it. You know what that translates to me? That's what I'm doing with life insurance. I've got, I've got more value than you realize in my life insurance. And I'm never going to get a dime of it. Now, I sleep with one eye open. <laughs> right? I sleep with one eye open. But life is so much like that. There's so many things that you do. And I don't mean this simply financial. I'm just saying it like this. What you put into your children, the fruit of that may be seen in the way that they raise their children or maybe even grandchildren. You're not going to be around to see a lot of that. You're not going to be around to cash in on a lot of the things that you're pouring into other people. There are a lot of times that you will pray or give to a man like Robert Taylor in Mexico. What a blessing. What a blessing. But my kids are not going to be saved through his ministry. He's ministering in Mexico. That's somewhere else. Think about money that you put into people like Carl Kerrigan. And think about money that you put into people that are gone. They're with the Lord now. And you're not going to get any practical return on that investment. You gave it to them. They took it somewhere else. They invested it somewhere else. Now, will the Lord bless you for that? Of course he will. 
But the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people that were touched and a lot of people that were saved through that ministry and it goes on and on and on even after the workman is buried. The work goes on, doesn't it? But you'll never see it until you get to heaven. You'll never benefit from it until you get to heaven. In fact, there's sometimes when you may have given money to a cause and you felt really good about it at the time only to find maybe six months later I sure could have used that money for myself. I could have painted my house or I could have done something else with that. I could have taken a trip. What are you going to get out of it? And Solomon is saying that so much of the way we live is for people who are going to outlive us. We don't even get to partake of it. We don't get to eat of it. We don't get to spend it. We don't get to enjoy it. We're leaving it behind for someone else. <clears throat> you know what? He's right. In fact, I think it's the way it's supposed to be. And the sad thing is Solomon felt despair over that. I hope you don't. I hope if you've financially prepared for your death so that your wife or your uh, husband or your children that they have money enough to bury you and to live on I hope you feel good about that I hope you don't feel like it's a waste because that's part of good stewardship you ought to do those kind of things you ought to save for the future that's a good thing but don't think that you're going to find security in it because most of that you're never going to really be able to use or really be able to enjoy if you uh, take out long-term care insurance right uh, I hope you never have to use it. If you have automobile insurance, I hope you never have to use it. If you've got medical insurance, I hope you never have to use it. It's one of those things where it's nice to have and it's a good thing to have, but at the same time, I hope you never have to use it. And Solomon seems to be saying here, I have put so much into life monetarily, the building projects that I've done, all of these things I poured my life into, and I'm not even going to be the one that really enjoys it because my life is just about over. I'm going to pass on, and the person that was just the fool who completely wasted their life, they're going to end up in a grave like I am, and both of us are probably going to be forgotten. And that's what he says because he was investing and pouring it into some worthwhile things but a lot of things that were not worthwhile and could not give him what he was really looking for life is like an insurance policy there's a whole lot that we pour in that we're never going to cash in on it's never really going to happen and never really going to benefit us and he says this is an evil affliction other people are going to take what we've worked for and they're going to squander it. They're going to waste it. They're going to misuse it. They're going to abandon it. They're going to compromise it. And that tends to happen. Number two, notice here that you don't get significance and security the normal way because life is not controllable. Life is not controllable. I mean, he does this thing about begetting a hundred children and living many years and all of this kind of stuff and yet your soul not being satisfied? Because there are some things that you do have control over, but when you stack them up with how many things you cannot control, boy, it pales in comparison. Yes, we ought to be wise. Yes, we ought to make wise decisions. Yes, we ought to plan for the future. Yes, we ought to quit doing dumb things. I mean, we get that. But at the same time, how many times... Do you think about uh, how much control you have over the stock market, for example? Well, you can't control whether it goes up or down. 
What does that do to your retirement? What does that do to your 401k? You can't control it. Who's going to be elected uh, as the president in 2020? And probably more importantly, who's going to be elected to Congress in 2020? Well, we got one vote. But out of all the millions that are going to vote, sometimes it's a little discouraging, isn't it? Isn't it? How, was my voice really heard? Do I always win every election that I vote in? And the answer, of course, is no. I can't control those kind of things. And Romans 13 tells us that it's actually God who's in control of those things. Whether you like the person elected or not, God's in control of it. So um, if you've got to fuss, you probably ought to fuss at him. You think about how many things happen with your health. You know, uh, I would like to be just as healthy as I am now at the age of 95. Right? I think most of us would say, yeah, that'd be all right. That'd be all right. But what are the chances that, that that is going to happen? Well, it could happen. It could happen. But there could be a lot of things that could take place in the meantime. Could be some brain issues. There could be an automobile accident. Could be some tumors. Any number of things can come up. I mean, there's so much in life that you can't control. If you were to open the paper today and look in the obituaries, you would find that there are people that are very old who pass away. That's our expectation. But you know what you always find? You also find when you look in there, there were some babies. Is there anything more heartbreaking? There were some little kids. There were some teenagers. There were some young adults that had all their life ahead of them. And they're married and they have some children. And now those children are fatherless or motherless as the case may be. And nobody ever planned for that. Nobody ever expected that. Because there is so much about life that you cannot control. And so here's the thing that we want to learn from this. Solomon thought by investing in this world, he was going to secure himself. And he was going to make himself the most significant person that ever lived and ruled and reigned. Now he's coming to the end and he's already feeling forgotten. And he's already feeling like his legacy is going to be wasted by fools who come after him. You know what I thought of when I was reading that and rereading it this afternoon? Solomon had a lot of wives and concubines. And I think that probably means he had a lot of offspring. And he didn't have much confidence in any of them, did he? Solomon wasn't a good father. And he really didn't invest himself in those kind of things. He was too busy earning and achieving and building and accomplishing. And then we find his son takes over as the king. And what's the first thing he does? He ignores the advice of older people who served his father well. Takes the advice of young fools like himself. And the whole kingdom is divided. And it doesn't come together uh, again, in a single kingdom, uh, as an independent state and an independent nation, uh, ever, does it? Conquered and divided and captive and all kinds of things that happen there. I don't think Solomon had a lot of confidence. He says in the book of Proverbs, you leave an inheritance and you leave it to a fool. Rehoboam? Boy, that's kind of sad. I hope you don't think of your children like that. But the truth of the matter is... Some kids are absolute 
disgraces and fools to the legacy that we lead them. Isn't that right? And so how do we control that? How do we know? We always want to think, well, it won't happen in our family. But everybody where it happened, they thought it couldn't happen in their family too. There's a lot of things that go out of control. Life is an uncontrollable event if you look at it from merely a human perspective. I want you to also think uh, of the third thing, that life can be full and empty at the same time, can it? You know, when you think about somebody who has everything that this world could offer, they've got fortune, they've got fame, everything like that, and then they have a child that is uh, dying of cancer. You ever heard of that? And that's a person that has everything the world could ever give them, and yet the ache and the pain of sorrow. There are people who have everything this world could give them. And they would give almost anything just to have a loyal friend. Somebody who wasn't a gold digger. Somebody who wasn't trying to use them or manipulate them or use them as a stepping stone. Just someone to, you know, have a cup of coffee with. Someone who just loved them for being themselves. You can be full and empty at the same time. And there are those times when it seems like your plan is working the way you want it to work. Your career is what you want it to be. And you've got it all. And yet you can be so dead inside. And so empty. And such a lack of fulfillment. And I think that's the way Solomon felt. And that's the way Solomon was. Where is God? Where is his blessing? Where is that? Because all of the labor of a man is for his mouth. That's why you work. You want to eat. You want to have shelter. You want your family to be taken care of. I mean, you do all of that. And he says, and yet the soul is not satisfied. I wonder how many people that committed suicide this last year felt exactly what Solomon is saying. If they would say from the grave, amen, amen. It's just not worth it anymore. I wonder how many people get to the end of their life in this world in which we live, and they would say on their deathbed with their last gasp of air, Amen, Amen. Because so many times we find ourselves feeling the same way. Other people may look and say, Look at all that they've accomplished. But there's something different inside the soul, inside of your soul. Are you really happy with what you've done? Are you really enjoying what you've done? Are you really pleased and satisfied with your life? I remember an old hymn said, I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has suffered to redeem me. He has died to set me free. And the chorus is, I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary, is the master satisfied with me? Well, that's a good question. But how many people ask that question and they don't know Christ they don't know where they're going to be for eternity they don't know if there is a God or not or if they do know they deny him or they make their own God or they serve in their own way and they get to the end and they say what happens at any moment I slip into eternity what happens now and oh they hope against hope that they die like a dog and they just cease to exist but the Bible says 
that he's put eternity in their hearts. And I wonder how many people that have amassed all kinds of trophies and accomplishments, and they're well known. But when they come to the end, they're not sure if their life really mattered. They're not really sure if they had any kind of impact in a positive way. In fact, just offhand, can anybody tell me the Heisman Trophy winner from 1923? He's pretty famous in his day. What was the number one hit song, maybe back on the hit parade, for this date in 1935? Anybody know? Who were the Oscar winners 75 years ago? And would most of the people living today even recognize those names? Who were the business tycoons? In 1929, when the stock market crashed, that were hurling themselves out of skyscraper windows. And we don't even know who they were. We could look it up, but we don't even know who they were. Can you name a Congressional Medal of Honor winner? Some of you can. But how many can you name? There have been a lot of them. Have you ever noticed how anything that is in this world is what the Bible says is passing away? That's the term we use when someone dies. My mother passed away on March 24th, 2001. My dad passed away January 17th, 2019. That's the word we use. I think the Bible uses that word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us this. Hey folks, this world is dying. This world is dying. And if you're invested solely in this world, you're investing in death and not in life. And there's very little of it that you can actually control. And you can have good and bad because they tend to run on parallel tracks. Good and bad. People are fat and sassy and people are hurting. And rarely do you find people that are just solely in one category or the other. Usually there's a mingling of both of those kind of things. And Solomon would say amen to that. And the fourth thing is, Solomon says, whatever one is, he has already been named already. What does that mean? It means this, your life is not all that unique. Now we are unique individuals. And we have unique DNA and all of those kind of things. A unique heritage and unique gifts and talents. All of that kind of stuff. But when it boils down to it, you know when we're all born, it's the same way, isn't it? With very little variation. There may be some. Uh, I was born by C-section, so mine might have been a little bit different. I was severely premature. You may have been a 10-pounder. Uh, I was in an incubator. You, you went home in a day or two. You may or may not have been born in a hospital. I mean, there's some things different. But when it all boils down to it, we all needed air. We all need nourishment. We all need warmth. We all need, you know, shelter, those kind of things. You have to take care of a baby. You can't just leave them alone and let them grow up. They've got to have some care. We're kind of the same in that. 
And throughout our life, we do all need food, and we need shelter, and we need clothing. And the greatest need that we have is the need for love. We all need love. So many things like that. The Bible tells us that even our temptations are not unusual. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I don't care who you are. Every temptation you face falls into that category. The Bible also tells us that even in our suffering, we kind of think, oh, this is just the worst. Have you ever read Job? Have you ever read? Some of you, when you think about how painful it is to lose a child, and it is, Job lost 10 children. Well, that's horrible, as well as his fortune and as well as his health. I mean, the sufferings of life are common because there are people that are losing their fortune every day for various reasons. Some of them lose it because they die. Some of them lose it because they're foolish with it. Some of them lose it because they trusted the wrong person. Some of them lose it because it was illegal and they got arrested and everything shut down. I mean, people lose their fortunes every day. People lose their health every day. Have you noticed all of the hospitals and doctor's offices and things that are coming up all around us? Why? Big business in that. Because people are losing their health every single day. And people are losing children. It's heartbreaking to go to a cemetery and see the baby area, the child area. When we uh, lived over here across from Rest Haven Cemetery, every year, every holiday, there was one place that wasn't too far from the road where there was a child's grave and there would be balloons at Easter with an Easter bunny and stuff like that at Christmas. There would be a Santa Claus or something like that. And uh, every holiday they'd be saying, oh, it broke your heart to think that there were grieving parents. All of this kind of stuff happens. It's not unique. There's persecution all over the world. There are people that are going through trials just like you. And that's why the Bible says that our suffering is something that is common to man. And Solomon looks at this and he goes, well, if it's all the same, what good is it? Why work so hard? Why amass any kind of wealth? Why try to build big structures and leave them behind? What's the point of it if all that happens is you die and you're pretty much forgotten and fools take it over and they ruin everything you've worked hard for? What in the world? What's it all about? He might look at it and say. And so, what are we going to do? And I read this and I'll close here very shortly, I promise. It says, the question of the text has been repeated many a time since the days of Solomon. And various replies have been given uh, by teachers who have claimed to be the leaders of men and have the answers. The Stoic has replied, The chief good for man in this life is to take everything as it comes and maintain a stolid indifference. Be like a cold, unmoved statue amid the storms or amid the sunshine of life. Just be stoic. The epicure replies, eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Indulge your senses and banish all thought and all care about the future. Just live for now. The miser says, get all you can and give as little as you can. Heap up riches and treasure, especially gold, 
And then the ascetic says, Treat the world with disdain and scorn. Retreat from it. Deny yourself. And trample upon all of its associations and all of its joys. And the answer when we look at all of those things and look at what Solomon said and look what the Bible says is none of those, none of those, none of those provide the answers. Because what you really need is just basically three things, don't you? You need a relationship with God and that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be submissive to the God who is your shepherd and your father who will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory and the wisdom to enjoy them and properly use them. And you also need to expect blessing and restitution from God because whatever injustice, whatever vanity, to quote Solomon, you see, you have a heavenly father who will more than make up for that in your life and he's going to correct all of the injustices of life one of these days and when you get to heaven you're going to have unending joy and bliss and not a care in the world and no fears no doubts no insecurities all of that is going to be yours and the Bible tells us in this life in Matthew chapter 6 lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust uh, doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's what we boil down to say, Solomon, this is not a money problem. This is a heart problem. And God has this recorded in His Word because for you and for me, it also is a heart problem. And if we could ever quit being normal. Solomon was normal. Let's not be normal. Vance Havner said, The church is so subnormal that if it ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to people to be abnormal. And that's not only true for a church. That's true for your life. Don't settle for normal. James Dobson said, when parents find out that they are expecting a child, they pray, oh, let it be normal. They do ultrasounds to see if it is normal. And then the moment that child takes a breath, normal will never be good enough for that child, will it? They've got to be exceptional. I want to say to you, God has planned and rigged it and made it so that you and I in the power of the Holy Spirit, through application of the Word of God, don't have to settle for normal. We can be supernatural and extraordinary in this life. Break the mold and don't fall back into the pattern of normal. Because read it and listen to Solomon's word, it stinketh. Isn't that what he's saying? It stinks. Don't live your life like that and don't waste your life by being normal be different heavenly father we want to pray that as children of God who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb our names are written in the lamb's book of life we're included in the will the last will and testament of the father we inherit the kingdom with our Lord Jesus Christ and share in that inheritance. 
We are the children of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God. Forgive us when we settle for living and walking like mere men and women of this world. Thank you, Lord, that you overcome all of that. And I pray that you are continuing to overcome all of that and raise up our sights so that we can get a clue at what you're doing. You're liberating us from the depression that Solomon faced. Let us be smart enough to take that to heart and to live in the way that we ought to live and invest in the things that we should invest in for the glory of Christ and live for eternal things. And we pray all of this, Lord, thanking you for Solomon's honesty. Thanking you, Lord, that as it kind of grips us and hits us, we don't want to end up like he did. Thank you for including that. Now deliver us from it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.